Did you know that the bed you have probably has Leggett and Platt springs in it? That when you drive to work, your Tesla car seat has Leggett and Platt components in it? Or maybe I should have said that when it drives you. And when you finally get back home at the end of your long day at work, you slide into your Lazy Boy recliner, it also has Leggett and Platt in it? Do you think of Leggett and Platt when you hear the sonic boom of one of our military jets going overhead? What about when you were watching our spaceships blast off into space? I bet no. Do you realize that this relatively little company that flies under the radar should become a dividend king in less than three years? What's up everybody, Gen X Dividend Investor here. This is a special video for me because it's my 10th stock reveal video of the series. That means I only have 15 to go until my full dividend investing portfolio is revealed. Today I'll be doing a deep analysis of Leggett and Platt, as well as show you details on the bottom 10 stocks by portfolio value of the 25 stocks in my dividend portfolio. Please check out the timestamps in the description below if you want to jump straight to the portfolio section of this video where I also share the Leggett and Platt dividends check screenshot I got from eTrade last week. Now I'm a probabilities guy. I like to go deep in my investing analysis because I feel that doing so increases the odds of being able to correctly predict the outcome of my investments just like you can reasonably predict your own future simply by looking at the actions you are making today. And as I mentioned in my channel intro, the reason I created this YouTube channel was primarily for my kids so that once they are older, they'll be able to watch these videos to learn a bit about their dad's process and strategy about different things. Hopefully I'll be around to be able to teach them when they're ready, but just in case I'm not, then these video records will survive me. So this next part is meant for them. So for my little bear and baby bird, hopefully you are watching this in the future and making fun of me that I made these videos, but if for some reason I'm not there and or mom isn't there, then I want you to know in your heart that mommy and daddy love you more than you will ever realize, and that the most important thing in this world is to be kind and to strive for whatever your biggest dreams are. You will have some really down days in life, but those will pass. And you will have some really good days. Focus on the good, let go of the bad. Live for today, but prepare for tomorrow. Always spend less than what you make, and invest the rest. Aim for at least a third of your after-tax income going into your investments. Invest in yourself and in assets. Know that you can achieve whatever you work at, but also know it's good sometimes to fail, as I learn a lot more from my failures than from my successes. Trust me when I say that when one door closes, another is opened, though often you'll need to search to find that other door, perhaps even making your own. Finally, know that you're made from our DNA and our spirit is in you, so if you really need us, just look deep inside and listen to your heart, and there you'll find us. Okay, on to business. As always, this video is not a recommendation to buy. I'm just sharing my thoughts as someone who isn't a professional licensed investor. Leggett and Platt, ticker LEG, or LEG, is a 136-year-old industrials dividend aristocrat that sells a mix of products such as mattress springs, aerospace tubing, and hydraulic cylinders used in forklifts, amongst many others. They have a market cap of $5.7 billion and revenues of around $4.5 billion and around 23,000 employees. They have 145 facilities in 18 countries around the world. They have tons of patents protecting their 1300 plus products and have a reputation of extreme quality and they have long-standing positive customer relationships. All of those things help explain how they've been prospering for so long. Another reason that explains their success is that they produce their own materials. Over one half of their steel is made through melting of scrap metal in their own steel mill. Leggett and Platt operates in four business segments across 15 business units. 
Number one is the residential product segment, which includes various bedding products, such as springs and mattresses, bedding foams, sewing machineries, etc. Number two is the industrial product segment, which includes a variety of steel wires and such. The company has three wire mills that, that produce virtually all of the wire needed in their U.S. businesses. Pretty cool. Number three is the furniture product segment, which includes things like recliner mechanisms and adjustable beds and such. And number four is their specialized segment, which includes car seat mechanisms, aerospace tubing, hydraulic cylinders used in forklifts, and truck-mounted cranes, amongst others. Leggett & Platt provides our military with titanium ducting and high-temperature-resistant tubing. They provide companies with materials to fabricate rocket boosters engineered to withstand the extreme pressures and temperatures experienced when traveling through the Earth's atmosphere. They also provide various components for high-end cars. You will no doubt recognize some of their customers. So we see customers like Ashley Furniture, Herman Miller, Lazy Boy, and I love my Lazy Boy recliner, Lowe's, Sleep Number, Serta, Tempest Tesla, United Technology, Toyota, Walmart. So when you sit in a chair that has a mechanical hook or a latch or something, it's probably affiliated with Leggett and Platt. They sell some of their products directly to other businesses, who then white label brand them, and they sell directly to consumers as well. So they're both B2B and B2C. In terms of ownership, we see that Vanguard holds the most shares of Leg with about 14 million shares worth $585 million. The largest insider shareholder is Carl Glassman, their CEO. He holds about 466,000 shares. That means he gets about $745,000 a year in passive income in his brokerage account just from his Leg shares. And we see that I currently own 934 shares, which drips $1,495 a year. For reference, about 11% of Leggett & Platt shares are held by officers, directors, employees, retirees, acquisition partners, and their families. Okay, let's look at their key competitors. So this slide is from an update presentation Leg gave last month. It lists their competitors which compete in various key business segments. That being said, there isn't a single competitor which operates in all the same segments they do. And the few large competitors they have aren't public. So not having real public competitors that challenge them in all their segments is part of the reason why I like them. Sleep Number, ticker SNBR, is a competitor in their bedding segment, but not their other segments. So I don't think using a competitor that represents only 30% of them made sense to utilize in this video. Interestingly, Guru Focus didn't use the same list of competitors as Leg used for themselves. It seems a variety of websites had different perspectives on who their biggest competitor was. The characteristics of their competitors include those that engage in multiple business segments, are primarily manufacturers, are older established companies, have a diverse product portfolio, are capital intensive, and sell mainly to other manufacturers, amongst others. So I decided to use Illinois Toolworks, ticker ITW, as a competitor in this video, since Leg called them out as such. ITW is in the rare air of being a dividend king, so they are the real deal. But this will be a bit like Sugar Ray Leonard going against Muhammad Ali, i.e. they both dominate in their respective weight class, and I think a bet placed on either would yield positive results, but it's not really a fair fight. Illinois Toolworks produces construction products, car parts, restaurant equipment, and more. They were founded in 1912, have a market cap of $51 billion, and employ 48,000 people. They have more than 17,000 granted and pending patents. I won't spend time going over the industrials industry, because I think it is relatively easy to understand the basics of manufacturing and retail, unlike some other industries I've elaborated on, such as insurance. Now, Leg is ranked 599 on the Fortune 500 of the largest public U.S. companies by revenue, and ITW is ranked 214. 
Leg is really a small company for my dividend portfolio. Neither are big enough to rank on the Fortune Global 500 list. Now it's easy to look at this list without reflecting on it, but for a moment, let's dig into a few tidbits of information I'd like you to be aware of. Who knows, maybe someone will be influenced by what they hear to go out and dig deeper. We see that number one is good old Walmart, a favorite amongst dividend investors. Did you know that Walmart is the number one largest private sector employer in the world at over 2.2 million employees? But that pales in comparison to the number one employer in the world. Can you guess who that might be? Maybe a Chinese company? I mean, they have four times the population of the U.S., so it has to be there, right? Nope, not in China. It's in the USA. The number one employer in the world with almost three million employees is the U.S. Department of Defense. Okay, number two on the list is Sinopec Group, which is a Chinese oil company. Number three is Royal Dutch Shell, another favorite amongst oil dividend investors. Number four is China National Petroleum. Number five is State Grid, which I'm guessing that very few have heard of, but just happens to be the largest utility company in the world, and as of 2018 was the world's second largest company by revenue. Crazy, huh? Apple, Microsoft, and some folks keeping the lights on. Number six, Saudi Aramco, a Saudi Arabian oil company which pumps out 10% of the oil in the world, which also is apparently the most profitable company in the world. But is it the most valuable? We'll soon find out as they are planning to IPO. The reason the Saudis are taking their golden oil goose public is part of their grand vision 2030 to transform their economy and make it less dependent on fossil fuels. The goal with the capital from the IPO is to bolster their sovereign wealth fund to diversify their economy, create jobs outside of oil, and improve the future probabilities of the Saudis. They have some fascinating mega projects already in the pipeline, such as building a $500 billion futuristic city called Neom in a remote corner of Saudi Arabia. My guess is they will go out at 1.5x to 2x of Apple or Microsoft, i.e. potentially a 2 trillion market cap. Since their plan is to sell only 2% of the company, that would still make their IPO a world record, selling 30 to 40 billion worth on exchanges around the world. The biggest US IPO that I'm aware of was Visa in 2008 at 20 billion. Number seven on the top 10 list is BP. Number eight is ExxonMobil, which I already covered in my Chevron video. Number nine is Volkswagen, and number 10 is Toyota. Now let's hear about Legs history. But before I do that, I wanna call out Soren Peterson, who is a subscriber and is a fan of the history sections of my stock videos. Thanks, Soren. So in the 1800s, people worked back-breaking jobs, even more so than today. They got up before the sun rose and plowed the fields, tended their cattle, etc. Because of this, a good night's sleep was super important. Back then, they were using cotton, feather, and even horsehair mattresses. Giddy up! Then a man named J.P. Leggett came along. He was an avid investor and had patents for a tea kettle lid, an endless necktie, whatever that is, and an automobile propelling system that was a predecessor to today's front-wheel drive systems. He also owned a wholesale grocer known for their fresh roasted coffee. I knew I liked this guy. Well, he figured out a way to make people's lives better in 1883 when he invented a bed spring consisting of a single cone spring of wired coils. His springs didn't sag like the springs everyone else was using, so his innovation helped support people's backs more, and thus was also more comfortable. He realized he didn't have all the skills he needed to get his innovation in people's hands, so he partnered with C.B. Platt, who also ended up being his brother-in-law. The partnership was awesome, and together they produced the components of their Leggett and Platt bed spring, which was then patented in 1885. They built their first factory and offices in Carthage, Missouri in 1890, where they still have their headquarters today. But they had big aspirations, and they felt the growth possibilities in Carthage were limited, 
So Platon George Leggett, who is J.P. Leggett's brother, traveled by a horse-drawn wagon loaded with their bed springs and bed slats to surrounding communities to sell their products. Their growth methods were successful, and in 1901 they incorporated. As time went on, they built more factories as the demand for their bed springs continued to grow. They made wide decisions such as building their factories by railroads to allow for easier shipments of products and supplies. They expanded into nearby states, including Kentucky and Texas. Then in 1933, they made the strategic decision to expand beyond bed springs, and they started offering products such as roll-away beds and cots, along with bed frames and bed rails. This proved to be another wise strategic move to enable Leggett and Platt to flourish and continue to grow. In 1960, the grandson of J.P. Leggett, Harry Cornell, took over from his father, who was J.P. Leggett's son-in-law. Harry decided that the best growth opportunities were in manufacturing and selling their products worldwide. These were all strategically successful moves, and Legg went public, trading over-the-counter in 1967, the first year the Super Bowl was played. Over time, around 60% of the company's growth came from acquisitions. In 1970, betting products were about 70% of their revenue, but they strove to diversify, and just a few years later, betting products were down to around 40% of revenue. They continued to add more facilities for manufacturing, and they grew to 17 manufacturing plants and five warehouses. Their spring technology also continued to improve, and Leggett and Platt continued to prosper. In 1979, Leg was traded on the New York Stock Exchange. In 1983, they celebrated their 100-year anniversary of operating. In 1990, they achieved more than a billion in revenue for the first time. And also in 1990, they were included in the S&P 500 index. You hear about the S&P 500 a lot, so let me elaborate a bit for those that aren't aware. S&P stands for Standard & Poor's and is an index provider and a data source of credit ratings and of the S&P 500 index. It was founded in 1860 and focuses on providing financial market information. The S&P 500 measures the stock performance of 500 large companies listed on stock exchanges in the U.S. and many consider it to be the best representation of the U.S. stock market. Since 1926, the average annual total return of the S&P 500, including dividends, has been 9.8% and it has posted year-over-year -year increases 70% of the time. But there have been many years where the index declined over 30%. So, during the next crash, my plan is just to sit tight, hunker down, and weather what could be a long storm. Okay, let's look at some of their current business strategies. They indicate that a primary financial objective they utilize is TSR, or Total Shareholder Return. TSR equals change in stock price plus dividends divided by beginning stock price. Their goal is to have a TSR in the top third of the S&P 500. They get TSR from revenue growth, margin improvement, dividend yield, and stock buybacks. Now they evaluate each of their 15 business units and determine what role they fit to enable TSR and categorize them as number one grow, number two core, or number three fix and divest. Each business has their own competitive advantages, financial health, and market position which is utilized in their decision-making frameworks. So TSR is their north star behind which they can allocate capital and other resources to optimize and best enable growth for shareholders. Their goal is a 6% to 9% average annual revenue growth, which they achieve through internal initiatives and through acquisitions. I found this in a presentation of theirs, and it's helpful because it visually allows you to see how their capital allocation strategies are evolving with their cash. You can see in red how the last five years they've been pumping more into acquisitions. It's always useful to understand a management team's capital allocation strategies. Here we see that near term they plan to invest in their best businesses to drive growth. 
They also value their shareholders highly and plan to utilize their cash for continuing to increase their incredible dividend history. They are two years away from becoming a dividend king, and I sure as heck want to be an owner before they hit king status. They also plan to pay down their debt. So all three short-term priorities are awesome in my opinion. Looking further out, they plan to continue to acquire attractive synergistic bolt-on companies to enable growth and then finally they will do some prudent stock buybacks. Bolt-on basically means that businesses are so similar that there shouldn't be a large risk, cost, or effort to integrate them into their operations. An example of a recent acquisition they did happened this year with Elite Comfort Solutions, or ECS, which they got for $1.25 billion in cash, financed through the expansion of the company's commercial paper program, and the issuance of a $500 million five-year term bank loan. They did this most recent acquisition according to their CEO Carl Glassman because of, and I quote, our combined expertise in spring and foam technology makes us the leading provider of differentiated products for the global betting industry and positions us to capitalize on current and future market trends. These trends include the growth of hybrid spring and specialty foam mattresses, growth of the e-commerce mattress channel, the increased demand for compressed mattresses sold both online and through traditional retail channels, and the emergence of numerous compressed mattress brands. Together with ECS, we have the capability to supply components or private label finished goods for nearly any mattress type, packaging form, or distribution channel." End quote. In their betting segment, they see the following market trends, thus their strategies align to best enable them. Number one, growth of hybrid and specialty foam mattresses. Number two, growth of online mattress sales, which they expect to double in size to 30% of the market by 2022. Number three, growth of compressed mattresses in both online and traditional retail channels. A compressed mattress is a mattress in a box where you compress the mattress into a small box for easy shipping and handling. So it's great for a consumer to go into a store, pay cash, and walk out with a box they toss in their truck and then take home into their bedroom and open up. Leg sees compressed mattress brands as being the fastest growing segment of online mattress sales where brands are differentiating through hybrid products and specialty foams. They expect these purchases to be 50% of the market by 2026. In their automotive segment, they see the market demands comfort and convenience and where the seat is a differentiator. So they're doing things to make car seats more automated and comfortable, as well as are looking at other areas in the car as opportunities. Now let's dive into their financials. There are four key financial areas I like to understand when I'm analyzing a business. And they are number one, is the company growing? Number two, can the company cover what it owes in the next year? Number three, do they have too much debt? And number four, how's their profitability? Let's start with number one. Now there are six main things I like to review when answering the question, is a company growing? And they are, number one, is revenue growing? Number two, are earnings growing? Number three, is equity growing? Number four, is cash flow growing? Number five, is the dividend growing? And number six, is the stock price growing? Let's start with number one of six. Let's look at the revenue growth history for both LEG and ITW using Macrotrends.net, Guru Focus, and Zacks. For LEG, we see that in 2016, revenue was $3.8 billion, which is a 4.3% decline relative to 2015. In 2017, revenue was $3.9 billion, which is a 5.2% increase over 2016. And in 2018, revenue was $4.3 billion, which is an 8.3% increase over 2017. For next year, we see consensus estimates of 3.59% revenue growth. For ITW, we see that in 2016, revenue was $13.6 billion, which is a 1.5% increase over 2015. In 2017, revenue was $14.3 billion, which is a 5.3% increase over 2016. 
and in 2018 revenue was 14.8 billion, a 3.2% increase over 2017. For next year, we see consensus estimates of 1.23% revenue growth. So I like Legs' larger estimates for revenue growth, but I like the fact that ITW consistently increased in revenue year over year. When we look at their go-forward estimates, we see that Leg lowered sales guidance to 4.7 billion to 4.85 billion versus a prior range of 4.95 to 5.1 billion, which is a 10 to 14% growth overall versus 2018. Organic sales are expected to decline 1 to 5%, including 3% loss from exited business in the furniture product segment. This decrease is due to two reasons. Number one, lower than previously expected production in the automotive market and lower trade demand for steel rod and wire. And number two, negative currency impacts and steel-related selling price decreases. Acquisitions should add 15%, including about $600 million from ECS. Let's review their revenue by product line. Here we see their revenue trends by product line over time, and we can see that betting remains a key area, as is automotive, fabric, and flooring. So they are truly diversified, which is part of the reason finding a single competitor is challenging. Let's dive deeper into the details of Legs product mix to understand where sales came from. So there is a lot of great data in here. We see that betting is yielding 30%, and then fabric and flooring at 15%, and rod and wire at 12%. What is awesome is that they have such a diversified mix, including aerospace and automotive. We also see that consumer durables represents 55%, Commercial industrial is at 25% and automotive is 20%. 67% of the revenue is in the US and 33% of it is international, so it's awesome to see that global diversification. Okay, number two of six are earnings growing. Let's look at Legs' net income trending over time and compare that to ITW. For Leg, we see that in 2016, net income was 0.39 billion, which is 18.7% over 2015. 2017 net income was 0.29 billion, which is down 24.2% from 2016. And in 2018, net income was 0.31 billion, which is a 4.6% increase over 2018. And then for ITW, we see that in 2016, net income was 2.04 billion, which is a 7.2% increase over 2015. In 2017, net income was 1.69 billion, which is down 17.1% over 2016. And in 2018, net income was $2.56 billion, which is a 51.9% increase over 2017. So they both had a dip of net income in 17, but they both recovered, with ITW looking better here, both due to more profit and a stronger recovery. Okay, on to number three of six, is equity growing? Here we see that leg was on a downward slope five years ago, but has slowly been increasing since. ITW shows a continual downward trend. Upon a quick review of their balance sheet, it looks like they have amped up their share buybacks. So both companies should have enough assets to cover their liabilities. Okay, so number four of six is cash flow growing to answer the question, is a company growing? Watch my previous videos if you want to dig deeper into the various cash flow nuances. Here we see that both have had volatile net cash flow, with neither of them looking great. Let's dig deeper into Legs cash flow to understand what's going on. So this data helps us see why cash flow has been patchy. Acquisitions have taken more cash, especially in 2019 when they closed on ECS. We also see share repurchases are eating into things. I'd anticipate that cash flow will look better soon unless they immediately do another significant acquisition using debt. Okay, now let's move on to number five of six, is the dividend growing? Here we see two amazing dividend histories. Leg on the left, 
almost a king, and ITW on the right, a king. We see that Leg's three-year dividend compound growth rate is 6% compared to ITW's amazing 19.8%. Leg's five-year dividend compound growth rate is 5% compared to ITW's 17.1%, and Leg's 10-year dividend compound growth rate is 4.84% compared to ITW's 18.95%. So ITW is blowing Leg out of the water. I wouldn't be surprised if we see sluggish dividend growth for a few more years until Leg's ECS acquisition debt gets paid down. And that approach is fine for my conservative investing tendencies. I'm happy for management to play it safe with my money. That being said, Leg's yield right now is 3.45% compared to ITW's 2.51%, so Leg wins if you're a short-term investor. By the way, I'm using dividend data from Q1 of 2019, but their current day yield as of October 2019 is actually a bit higher because Leg raised their dividend in June and ITW did in September. But to stay consistent to my five-year dividend company growth rate, I'm utilizing Q1 data. I suppose I don't need to for yield on cost. Anyways, let's look at yield on cost 20 years out. Here we see Leg is at 7.71%, not so great, but ITW's is nice at 21%. We see they both have reasonable payout ratios with ITW's looking better. Leg is at 65%, IDW is at 56%. Now, as I've mentioned, payout ratio is one way to check how safe the dividend is. The payout ratio is the percentage of earnings that is paid out in dividends. So for example, if a company has 10 million in earnings and pays out 5 million in dividends, then the payout ratio is 50%. That means it pays out 50% of its earnings in dividends. The payout ratio formula is dividends paid divided by net income. A better way to determine if a dividend is safe rather than net income is cash flow from operations. In my opinion, cash flow from operations is a more accurate gauge of a company's ability to pay dividends because net income can have non-cash figures in the formula. Thus, things like amortization, depreciation, and stock-based comp all affect net income but don't represent actual cash that a company is earning or paying out. What's nice about cash flow from operations is that it removes non-cash items and is simply a better indicator of the amount of cash a company took in over a period of time. So using a payout ratio of dividends paid divided by cash flow from operations is better in my opinion. You still want to see something under 70%. For expediency's sake, I'm just going to pull whatever data is readily available because if I calculated each metrics, then these videos would be two hours long, lol. Let's look at what's going on with share buybacks. So we see that both Leg and ITW have been doing share buybacks. Leg has reduced the share count by 30% in the last 13 years, while ITW has been more aggressive at 43%. Finally, number six of six, is the stock price growing? To help us answer the question, is a company growing? Let's look at total returns of leg compared to ITW and the S&P 500 using Dividend Channel's total returns drip calculator. Let's go back 20 years since they were both older established companies. This models what would have happened if you invested 10K. I'm just showing dividends reinvested because that's the larger amount. What we see is that leg would end at about 40K, SPY at 35K, but ITW would be at 80K. So leg beats the S&P 500, but ITW crushes both. Okay, now to the next item I like to look at when I'm analyzing a business. So number two, can the company cover what it owes in the next year? Which is asking if it can cover its short-term debt obligations. I like to use the current ratio to determine that. It's important to compare ratios in the same industry due to fluctuations in what is normal. Let's take a look at macro trends. A ratio higher than one indicates that a company will have a high chance of being able to pay off its shorter term debt, whereas a ratio of less than one indicates that a company may not be able to pay off its shorter term debt. So the higher the ratio, the more liquid the company is. 
I like to see ratios between 1.5 and 3%. Here we see that leg is at 1.89 versus their industry median of 1.77 and are ranked higher than 56% of their competitors. ITW is at 2.87 versus their industry median of 1.81 and they are ranked higher than 78% of their competitors. The reason they have different industry medians is because GuruFocus doesn't count IDW as a competitor to LEG. But since LEG called out ITW as a competitor, I went with their view. So both look fine here with a slight edge to Illinois Toolworks. And like I always say, double check all numbers and chat with some people smarter than me when you're investing. Number three, the next main item I like to look at when analyzing a business is if it has taken on too much debt using the debt to equity ratio. If the ratio is greater than one, the majority of assets are financed through debt. If it's smaller than one, assets are primarily financed through equity. I like to see between one to 1.5. That being said, the appropriate debt to equity ratio varies depending on the industry because some industries use more debt financing than others. Capital intensive industries like the financial and manufacturing industries often have higher ratios that can be greater than two. Buffett is more conservative and said that he likes it under 0.5. Here we see that in 2019, LEG's debt to equity was 2.01, ranked lower than 95% of their competitors, and Illinois Toolworks was 2.52, ranked lower than 97% of their competitors. And knowing how they fare relative to the industry is a great way to gauge how they're doing. And not surprising to see both of them over two given their manufacturing aspects. Of course, I don't like to see high debt to equity ratios, as it often means a business is pushing for fast growth with debt which you can understand when interest rates are low, but think about what happens when that turns around. Okay, let's see if we think that they can cover their interest payments. So let's see if EBIT's at a reasonable level. Looking at their latest EBITs, we see that LEG is at 0.45 billion and ITW is at 3.46 billion. I normally like to see EBIT greater than or equal to three times net interest. Some people like to see higher multiples like 8x instead of 3x, so something to consider. Looking at LEG's balance sheet, we find that their trailing 12 months interest is at 76 million, so we see that they're covered. Looking at ITW's balance sheet, we find that their trailing 12 months interest is at 245 million, so they're also covered. And for reference, LEG's go forward guidance for adjusted EBIT margin is at 11.1 to 11.4% in a recent presentation of theirs. Okay, number four, the final main item I like to look at when analyzing a business is to understand their profitability. Let's look at return on equity or their earnings power. Normally I expect to see 10% to 15% to cover their cost of capital and make money for shareholders, but the more the better. ROE is sometimes called the mother of all ratios for the reason that it helps us gauge a company's efficiency by looking at both its income statement and balance sheet. ROE tells us how much profit a company makes for every dollar it has in shareholder equity. Here we see that LEG's ROE is about 24.4% and ITW's is an outstanding 75.3%. We see that LEG is ranked higher than 91% of its competitors in its industry, which has a 5.79% median ROE. So LEG is really rocking it here. We see that ITW is ranked higher than 99% of its industry, which has a median of 7.04%. So ITW is top of their class. Please watch my AbbVie video if you want a more detailed explanation as to how ROE can be negative and how that can be good or bad and why. Okay, now let's look at return on assets, or ROA, as another measure of profitability. ROA will tell us how efficiently a company is squeezing profit from its assets. Return on assets is a measure of how well a company takes all of the money it has and uses that to make more money. ROA, it's a metric which is used to calculate management's effectiveness to understand how much profit a company earns for every dollar of its assets. 
ROAs over 5% are generally what I look for. The higher the ROA, the higher the asset efficiency. Here we see that Leg's most recent ROA is 6.87% compared to its industry median of 2.94%, which makes it better than 72% of its competitors, so I put it in green. We see that ITW's is 16.2% compared to its industry median of 3.45%, which makes it higher than 95% of its competitors. So I also made it green and it's looking nicer than Leg. Okay, the last profitability metric we will look at is net margin. I like net margin because it's a decent metric in just a single figure to gauge how effectively management is running the business. Net profit margins vary depending on the type of industry you're in. Low margin businesses are things like grocery stores or airlines, and they're often under 3%. I like to see solid net profit margins because that often gives a business more optionality and durability to survive hard times. Here we see that Legs net margin is at 6.44% and ITW's is a lot better at 17.2%. These margins are smaller than I'd normally like to see in a business I invest in, but that's the industry for you. Leg is better than 70% of its competitors, and ITW is better than 93%, so ITW is looking better here. Okay, let's move from their financials to their community involvement, charitable giving, and to their environmental, social, and governance work, along with special entities they might support. We see that Leg has an extensive sustainability program that spans corporate, economic, environmental, and social facets. They cover everything from conservation to empowering their employees to their responsibility to their shareholders to appropriate business ethics. They have created a nonprofit aimed at providing scholarships. They've been donating to charities such as a $1 million pledge to aid Joplin, Missouri after the devastating tornado they had back in 2011. Their donations have been targeted to help a variety of worthwhile causes such as the Children's Havens Mission which provides refuge to children with families undergoing crisis. They have also organized events to help charities like the United Way, amongst others. Okay, let's move on to their executive leadership team. The average tenure across their eight senior most execs averages 29 years, which is incredible. You just don't see tenure to that degree in, in companies these days. All their execs have worked in every corner of the company. Their CEO is Carl Glassman. He joined in 1982 and had a variety of roles and eventually was promoted to CEO in 2016. Okay, one way we can assess the CEO is on how the stock has done since he's taken office. Here we see Leg in black, Spy in blue, and ITW in purple. Unfortunately, we see that Leg has not done well in the last few years, but ITW has outperformed Spy. And that's part of the reason why I got in around November of 2018. I felt it had been stagnating and decreasing, but finally got to a compelling value point for me. Alright, let's look at how they incentivize their execs. We see that they've created compensation that aligns exec performance with shareholder returns, which is great to see. They give them an annual incentive based on return on capital employed, which is probably a cash bonus, and they have performance-based RSUs, which means they get stock if they hit certain predefined business outcomes, and they have the option to forego some of their salary to buy stock. Okay, let's jump into concerns and risks. There are a variety of risks you need to be aware of that can impact a company like Leg, and I'll cover some of them. Since they are somewhat cyclical, and they are tied to the broader economy, then a recession could negatively impact them. So, something to consider given where we are in our business cycle. Of course, part of that could be priced into the stock right now, but a massive correction isn't, of course. So, this also means that adverse changes in consumer confidence, housing turnover, employment levels, interest rates, trends in capital spending and the like could all negatively impact Leggett and Platt. Another risk is if the commodity market that pertains to them, like steel, gets impacted for some reason, then this could trickle into Leg. 
from availability or pricing or etc. For reference, you can see they use steel, chemicals, fabrics, and a slew of other materials. Their cash flow trends haven't looked ideal, so that's a risk if volatility continues or worsens. Regulatory and tax changes could also impact them in a positive or negative way. Acquisitions they have done and are planning to do might not perform as expected, which could materially impact their top and or bottom lines. Adverse outcomes of litigation could also impact them. Currency fluctuations could help or hinder them because over a third of their sales came internationally in 2018. Brexit, tariff changes, economic sanctions, wars, and large political changes could also impact them. So anyways, those are some of the risks that I thought of and I found in their 10K. So big question, is it worth buying at today's price? Here we see that Legs DCF is about at $39, using the default values in the DCF calculator on Guru Focus, versus a share price on the day I'm filming this of $44 which means it's a negative margin of safety at 12.74%, or really negative 12.74%, which means it's too pricey. We see that ITW's DCF is about at $111 versus share price today of $159, which means an even bigger negative margin of safety at minus 43%, which means it's pricier than leg. So if you were just using this, you would say that leg is a better value, but both are too pricey. And remember, you can always go to the calculator and change the default assumptions to see how the fair value has changed. Okay, let's look at their PEs. Now, like many metrics, PEs vary based on industry. So whereas I might want to see something like a 20 PE in healthcare, I might look for a 12 PE in financials. For industrials, I like to see a PE around 15 to get more excited, if I had to generalize. Also, as with many metrics, PE can be misleading especially in cyclical businesses or volatile, unpredictable businesses, which I tend to stay away from. As Peter Lynch once mentioned, cyclical businesses have higher profit margins when they're at the top of their cycle, so earnings can be high and PE ratios will be low. You might want to consider using price to sales. PE can also be affected by non-recurring items, so as I like to see in most of the metrics I analyze, I prefer to see how PE is trending over time. Here we see that leg is at a 20.3 PE, but I put it in red because its industry PE is at 15.7. Leg's forward PE is a great 15.7. ITW's PE is at 21.23, so it's pricier than leg, so advantage leg. ITW's PE is also red since it's higher than its industry PE. IT is a forward PE of 17.12, so again, advantage leg. However, ITW's industry PE is 17.1, so again, it's pricier than most of its competitors at this point. Also remember that the average PE across the S&P 500 is around a 22. Please watch my AbbVie video if you want to learn more about the history of how the S&P 500 PE data has trended. Another final trend you might want to look at is how their dividend yield has trended over time as an input into your buying decisions. This is looking at the last 10 years for both LEG and ITW. Remember, yield equals their annual dividend that they pay out divided by share price. And we know both of them have been increasing their dividend and we saw their share price history. So if this line is flat, then it's one indicator that its relative value has stayed flat when looking at this metric in isolation. If the line trends downhill, then it probably indicates that it is getting pricier. And if it trends uphill, then it indicates that it's potentially becoming more of a value play worth considering. So ideally this line trends down over time after you make an investment rather than going up. Let's look at what analysts are thinking about LEG and ITW. Per MarketBeat, analysts had LEG as a buy six months ago, but now they have it as a hold. 
with a price target of $42, saying they feel it's about 5% overpriced right now. They had ITW as a hold six months ago and a hold now, with a price target of $140, which means they feel it's 12% overpriced. Looking at insider trading, we see the following. I don't like that insiders have been selling. I once worked for a CEO who got really pissed off if anyone sold. So while that was annoying, it did show the market that the top leadership believed in the stock going up. Of course, there are a ton of reasons why executives sell, even if they believe in their company. Sometimes they sell to diversify, and sometimes they might think they can make more money elsewhere, or maybe they just need cash or something. It's common for execs to sell, so you can't necessarily take that as a bad thing, but I still prefer to see buys or nothing. So what do you think? Are you a bull or a bear on leg? Are you going to buy, hold, or sell? I think both leg and ITW are worth considering for your portfolio at the right price. As always, this video is not a recommendation to buy. I'm just sharing my thoughts as someone who isn't a professional or licensed wealth manager or investor. I personally would get more excited if I could get leg under 36, maybe a PE of around 15, based on my portfolio allocation and goals and financial status and such. But a reasonable price under $40 could also be worth considering. It has been a slow mover for a while. Ultimately, you need to figure out what makes sense for you and don't listen to idiots like me on the internet. All right, here is a copy of my dividend portfolio where I've removed the top 15 stocks by portfolio value and I'm just showing the bottom 10. So I thought I'd start on the pie. And right now we can see that with Leggett and Platt in there, industrials is overweighted at 27%. Healthcare is at 21%. Retail at 19.2%, financials at 17.3%, energy at 8.3%, and entertainment at 6.1%. So if we go into the details, here is leg, 934.1 shares, today it's green, in the last year it's gone up which is why this spark line is green current pe 19.84 forward pe 15.8 dividend discount model at 12 percent desired return and a 33 percent margin of safety says price should be 15 dollars it's in the industrial segment you see the annual dividends at dollar 60 and the payout date should be around January. Dividend yield 3.59%. Three-year dividend compoundly growth rate at 6%. Five-year dividend compoundly growth rate of 5%. And 10-year dividend compoundly growth rate of 4.1%. When I manually calculated the five-year dividend compoundly growth rate, I got 4.84%. So the portfolio's average weighted five-year dividend compoundly growth rate is at 13.1% and the average weighted dividend yield or the portfolio's starting yield is 3.24%. I have about $41,679 of Leggett and Platt, and so that brings the total market value, portfolio value to $248,543 for these 10 stocks. Leg drips around $1,495, so in aggregate, these 10 stocks trip about $8,044 a year. Payout ratio, around 70%. And 
can only find 30 years of dividend data, but I know that there are 48 years that they've consecutively increased their dividend. And we see the average weighted years of increasing dividends for the portfolio at 24.37 years. It's an aristocrat, the beta is 110. And so the average weighted beta of the portfolio is 103. And the average weighted market cap now is at 116 billion. Okay, now I'm going to report on any dividend payouts of companies I've already revealed. I have Leggett and Platt in both a tax-sheltered account and in a taxable account. For reference, about 60% of my portfolio is tax-sheltered and 40% is in a taxable brokerage account. So I received multiple dividend email checks from my E-Trade account in October. One came from my taxable account and one came from my tax-sheltered account. So here they are. This one for Leg was for $161.75 and the other for Leg was $207.93 bringing my total dividend checks for LEG in October to about $370 in Q4. By the way, when I said I'm split approximately 60-40, it means in aggregate across my entire portfolio. Thus, each position won't necessarily fit exactly to that. In this case for LEG, you see a 56-44 split between tax-sheltered versus taxable. And since I've turned on my drip for LEG, it bought about another 8.5 shares of itself. So those additional shares I got this quarter took the leg contribution of my annual passive income from about $1,481 a year up to $1,495 a year. So this dividend payoff just increased my annual passive income by about $14 a year just for this quarter. Thus you can easily infer that each year that I hold leg in my brokerage, it will increase my overall portfolio's passive income by over $56 cumulatively each year which should also continuously increase as it compounds itself and as they increase their dividend. All right, this is the dividends I've received for October. And I've kind of blacked out and removed a bunch of rows of other stocks that I haven't revealed yet. And so the only of the ones I have revealed, this is the, the two payments aggregated for Leggett and Platt. And then here is the new emptied out Q4 which is October, November, and December. And we see that here's the 369 for leg, and none of these have paid any in October. And like I said, the other 15 stocks I have um, have been removed from here. So for now, you just threw the 69, 68s just for leg. Now, someone brought up a good point on Reddit that if you want to optimize and squeeze out everything you can financially, then it can be better to not drip and instead collect the cash and then buy shares of whatever you want, especially if you can buy fractional shares of stock. So let me share some reasons why I chose to drip. One reason is because I place a premium on the automation I get from dripping. I put a lot of value on my time, so I tend to often favor automation in many things, even if they're not the best financial decision. Another reason I don't drip, and you'd need to know more about me and my background to really understand this one, but I'm worried that if something happens to me and I'm not there to invest due to no drip, then cash will pile up losing money to inflation. That remote possibility irks me, and I will again pay a premium for my own, albeit potentially irrational, peace of mind. I love the fact that my money immediately is going to work for me, even though sometimes I'm not attached to the internet. Another thing that is useful to know about me is that I'm not Mr. Frugal. I was raised in a house that was extremely frugal, and that, ironically, is probably why I'm okay spending some money, as long as I have no stupid debt and I'm always investing in something and always spend less than I make. I have spent money on stupid things in my past, so now I really try not to be too stupid. Bottom line, I make sure I'm investing. 
I also get this weird sense of psychological satisfaction to see my shares growing on their own without my involvement. It's like they're truly working for me. Another reason why I drip is that when you have 25 stocks that pay out around 100 times a year, I don't want to deal with that level of micromanagement on a near daily basis. I love the fact that I don't know or care how my portfolio is doing on a day-to-day -day basis, and it would irk me if I had cash sitting around uselessly. Finally, I already usually penalize my winners by not buying them when they're pricey. So the drip is my way that I can keep growing my winners as a balance to my normal direct allocation method of investing in companies I feel are expensive. Or to put it simpler, I buy stocks when they're cheap and my drip buys them all the time. This way all my positions grow, not just my cheap positions which can then throw my desired allocation out of whack. My drip strategy has worked out very well for me, though I can understand why people don't drip. Oftentimes things that are expensive become a lot more expensive, and had I followed a plan of only buying things on the cheap, I would have done far worse than where I am today with the automated dripping I fortunately had. So consider that into your decision making as well. That's the beauty of investing. Many strategies can yield success. That being said, when I want to push my portfolio in a certain direction, I've sometimes turned off some drips, collected the cash, and then over-indexed on certain positions until I got them where I want them. But normally when I adjust my portfolio, I'll just invest more cash in positions I want to grow, rather than deal with the drip off on game. Thanks, and if you are one of those incredible people that actually made it to this part of the video, then please include the words, I watched it all, in your comment below, so I can see who the real supporting legends of this YouTube community are. Feel free to write whatever else you want, but I'd love for you to include those words as well. Thanks, stay awesome, and I'll see you in the next video. Remember, I'm not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I'm only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments. Don't use this information without double-checking it and talking to someone a lot smarter than me, after you completely understand it. So I'll see you in the next video, and remember to stay positive, patient, play for the long term, keep investing in great companies, budget reasonably, and win. I know you can do it. Just like I know you can hit the subscribe, like, and bell icons, share this video with others, and comment below.